All of us are on a journey of becoming, a never-ending journey in pursuit of truth and deeper union with the divine. As you know, faith is a complicated thing and this journey of becoming can be both difficult and painful. Far too often, we have not been given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson, and I am also on this journey of becoming. I am dedicated to inviting you into my story and creating a space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. I want to take an honest look at the issues and questions so common to this shared journey. I want to genuinely seek out what it means to follow Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our unfolding and expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. I have come to know that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but rather that both doubt and curiosity are two of faith's biggest allies. I have learned that the Christian faith is more about wisdom and love than it is about correct doctrine or belief. And I believe that we are being invited to continually seek out both wisdom and love, renewing our minds, expanding our hearts, and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining me on that journey. All right, friends, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josh Patterson. And joining me today for the very first time on the show is Father Derek H. Miller. Derek, what is going on? Good to be here, Josh. Uh, I I don't know what's going on, but I'm hoping we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, it should be a good time. Thanks for, uh, for taking some time out of your evening to hang out. Um, it should be a good time. I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out the uh, the dynamic here. Like, is what's what's the appropriate way to introduce you? Because like, do I share <laughs> about how we're connected or do I not? Hey, like, you know, well, <laughs> now that you've brought it up, I think the m- mysterious way is to be like not, and then we just keep talking. Um, but I feel like that would be a disservice to your listeners. So. Uh, <laughs> I'd I'd love for you to share how we're connected, um, and I mean I can I can add to that as well. But uh, but yeah, sure. All right. Well, um, so technically, Derek is my boss. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, um, I as uh, many of you know by now, I resigned from my most recent brewing position and took a job as a parish administrator in a local Episcopal church. Um, not too far from where I live in Baltimore. And uh, Derek is the priest there or rector is another word they use in the Episcopal church. Um, And after being there for a little bit and having some fun conversations with Derek, um, I thought it would be cool to have you on the podcast uh, because we kind of joke a lot that the evangelical to Episcopal (laughs) pipeline is a real thing. And uh, I think listeners would enjoy hearing that. So that's, yeah, that's kind of the the connection. Yeah, no, it's it's been fun. It, there have been quite a few moments where we've been talking and be like, "Yeah, that that's another data point on the evangelical to Episcopal pipeline, right?" Um, and uh, and I that's been a part of my story too. So uh, would, I'm glad to be here to talk a little bit about that. And um, yeah, sweet. Well, do you want to share just a little bit? Um, 
about yourself like we'll sure. kind of you know walk like walk into like deeper aspects of your story just in a bit but maybe just you know we, so we know you're director at an episcopal church yeah um but what other things should people know about you yeah um i'm <clears throat> i'm a, a priest and rector and also newer to the episcopal church so um i've been ordained as a priest uh, a little over two years now uh and also been in this position for about that same amount of time uh and so uh so that serves as context and probably also disclaimer for like anything that I share about the Episcopal Church uh, is seen through that lens. You know, I'm not uh, not someone who's been in the tradition uh, very long, um, but feel like I've been on a journey toward it for a long time. Um, but yeah, what else to know about me? Um, I'm yeah, just uh, in a church right outside of Baltimore, a place called Ellicott City. Um, and I'm married. Uh, my partner, Kara, is uh We've been married uh, almost 11 years now um, and I have a son uh, who's three. Um, so I'm tired all the time. So like if I sound tired to during this interview, it's because I am. Uh, so, yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I can share more about my my stories. We we talk a little bit, but um, uh, I, I'm also a musician. Uh play I play guitar that's been a big part of my story I'm um, still trying to do that for fun where I can um and uh am you know I am not a theology nerd like you Josh uh but I do my best to keep up so uh but enjoy uh enjoy good good theological conversations uh but definitely probably lean more on the like pastoral practical theology side of things uh you know which makes sense being being a priest in a church context like that's probably a good thing um so uh so yeah you could probably stump me pretty quickly with uh with some of your your knowledge and you're far more widely read than I am but anyway yeah well, that was like the secret lore was to get you on here and then just throw like really complex awesome theology questions at you. That's yeah, great. And what what you don't know is that um the ah man, I'm trying to remember my uh episcopal words. Uh <laughs> see I could I could quiz you right the back. Bishop, I could, yeah. You could, yeah, yeah. I was gonna the what I'm I'm reaching for is the bishop in charge of uh, our diocese is yeah. Uh, secretly on the call right now waiting to <laughs> waiting to hear you mess up the answers so. that's fantastic that's fantastic <laughs> no cool all right well so this kind of the idea for the episode um was like like i said that uh, we've had a couple conversations um and this idea of like episcopal or rather evangelical to episcopal pipeline seems to be like a real thing and not only yeah. has that been uh, your story, but also I I've met a few people um, in the in the church now that also have a very similar story, and so and I mean to an extent it's my story too, right? I find myself <laughs> working in an Episcopal church right now, um, and it's it's been cool kind of learning about the the tradition and such. So what I wanted to do is maybe see if we could walk through. Um, I don't know how how far back you want to go, but kind of walk through your story of yeah. how you you know 
started out in the more evangelical world and then kind of what led you into the Episcopal world and then kind of dive into um, maybe a bit more just about the Episcopal uh, tradition. So I thought that sounded about right to you. Yeah, that's that's great. That's great. And I'm sure that will lead to probably many other offshoots as well uh, as we talk. (laughs) Uh, But I think I think that sounds great. And I'd love to share part of my story, too. So, yeah, I um, so I grew up my particular brand of uh, evangelical world is uh, definitely stronger on the conservative. And so I grew up in the Southern Baptist church tradition um, and have some strong ties to it. My my dad is a, a Baptist pastor, Southern Baptist pastor. He was the senior pastor at my church growing up. Um, my mom, her father uh, is also uh, a Southern Baptist pastor and was like a traveling evangelist. And um, and so um, and I actually like had, you know, uh, a pretty a significant early on experience where during underneath while my grandfather was preaching at his church and we visited and um the significant experience was mostly that I didn't want to go to hell um as he was talking about it and in my like little kid four-year-old brain was like I'm going to pray a prayer to Jesus so that I don't go to hell um and so from that point forward like literally baptized into the church at five, I remember standing on a cinder block in this baptistry so that people could actually see my head uh, from that far away. My dad baptized me. And, um, you know, I grew up in like uh, and grew up in the south. So just in the suburbs of Atlanta. So like suburban Atlanta, like uh, kind of peak of the suburban sprawl in the 90s. Um sort of evangelical world so the church was growing like crazy um and you know so we i'm sure we have bonded and could bond further over like you know youth group church experiences and like all the weird culture parts of all of that like that was just you know all all there um and and grew up in that like in school you know was involved in like the christian clubs and you know was the dude that carried my guitar and Bible to to school in high school, you know, like voted most inspirational, like all that was just a part of it. And um, and so like getting into like later part of high school, um, I was really into music, played in a ton of different bands and, um, you know, uh, you know, made that really key transition and key distinction from being in a Christian band to being Christians in a band right? Very different. Uh, <laughs> and uh, like, uh, thought that that was going to be a big part of my life. And it and it ended up being I ended up being uh, in a, a band and like moved to a different state to play with some guys and like lived in a house together and did all that. And um, kind of tried to make a go of it. And um, when all that was sort of coming undone, and we all sort of had to grow up to the next stage. Um, go back to school, get married, all that kind of stuff. Um, what I realized is that I uh, had enjoyed the music, but what I'd really enjoyed a lot was connecting with a lot of these young kids who were coming out to our shows. And um, and so that was kind of the beginning of what I started, would call now like a calling experience or like a, you know, a sense of, oh, this is, this is who I am, is somebody who really wants to care for people. And particularly like realizing I was caring for people who were, um, 
were struggling. Like they had felt like outsiders. Um, they had had bad experiences in church like I had. Um, and, uh, you know, you don't, you don't spend that large amount of time in church without like seeing the ugly white underbelly and seeing, um, seeing how painful it can be. And then, um, start realizing that like the answers you're given don't, don't match anymore. Um, but all that to say, I thought, well, if this is what I want to do, I'll go to school for it. And where can I go to school? A Baptist school. So I went to a Baptist Bible college at a very conservative uh, Southern Baptist uh, school seminary and Bible college. And, um, you know, kind of went through that at that time, like uh, a lot of the neo-reformed stuff was like really, you know, the what they call the young restless reform movement. Like that was pretty strong. Uh, I was drinking from that well, but also like, you know, listening to Rob Bell and, you know, re you know, reading Donald Miller's Blue Like Jazz and, you know, like all the all the stuff, you know, all the emerging church stuff that was coming out in that time. And and it provided sort of this this beginning place for me of like, I'm starting to recognize that, I yeah, I did have questions and I, I needed uh, and I needed better answers than I was being given in that context. Um and also it was like arising from a, a ministry context because I was doing work in that at that time, like in uh, focusing on urban missions. That was part of my focus there, like urban ministry and ur urban church planting. And like, you know, this is during the time of, you know, Mars Hill, Seattle's heyday and like, um, you know, a lot of the big church planting movements of like, you know, in in urban centers and all that kind of stuff and it was getting me to think along along those lines so as i as i graduated i knew i wanted to get involved in that and um but still had a lot of these questions i was carrying with me moved to baltimore to join up with a friend who was helping to start a new church in that area it was a essentially a baptist church plant uh they had like um some other like non-denominational church connections um and uh, that was kind of like the be, began sort of the uh, pressure cooker time for me as, uh, you know, putting a lot of these things that I was learning into practice and also like a lot of caused a lot of unlearning for me um, in context. I was confronted with um, issues around race and economics in ways that I had not, not confronted because I was living in Baltimore City as opposed to living in the suburbs, um, you know uh asking a lot of a lot more questions about how we interpret scripture and um you know bigger questions that um again like i said the answers weren't really working for me so um but like i was engaging with that while still trying to like figure out how to establish a faith community and how to love a neighborhood and how to be good neighbors um and how to be good neighbors with like the Lutheran church that's been here for a hundred years and like our Roman Catholic friends and our Jewish friends, as well as our atheist and agnostic friends, like these, the, the neighbor idea was no longer like a construct. It was a really um, diverse lived experience. Um, <clears throat> and that messes with you like in really important, but really um, challenging ways. Um and uh, and so it was really a lot of that like question of like who is my neighbor and am I a neighbor that had has kind of continued to be a fuel for me in my own 
uh, faith journey, I guess. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I'm skipping a lot, but in 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 that uh, original context, so this there was one kind of crisis point for me where um, I had helped to start this church. I was an I was an intern, like um, you know, paid next to nothing over over a period of time to help to start a church, and then had to get quote unquote a real job. And then um, the church had grown to the point where they were able to hire me on full time to do like, I call it like being a glorified worship leader. I was, uh, I, I helped to lead our, our worship music, but also did like administrative stuff. It was probably very similar, Josh, to work you're doing here now, except like, unfortunately, you don't also happen to be an organist. So we can't, we can't use you, you know, right. Um, so uh, anyway. Um, I was really excited. Like, this is kind of like, oh man, I've got a, my first full-time job, uh, in ministry. Um, and then I went through like a really intense personal, uh, loss. So my, uh, I had, I had moved to Baltimore and had been married, uh, not very long, about two years. And my wife at the time decided that she didn't want to be in our marriage anymore. And, um, and it was a very sudden and painful and sort of intense, uh, loss that, uh, you know, it's been a long, long time now I can talk about casually, but I, you know, like it was very painful and very scary. Um, because, uh, you know, I grew up in a community that had really intense stigma around divorce. Like I saw how people were treated, um, after they got divorced and, um, I, you know, uh, I had a memory of like what happened to another staff member at a church that like they got divorced and like, you know, it was because of a situation of abuse. Like they, they needed to um, like, because this person wasn't safe and the, the person who was abused was still like ostracized and made to feel as though they were, it was their fault and they needed to figure it out. Right. Like, I mean, I, I'm sure I'm not telling things that are unfamiliar to a lot of people who would be listening, unfortunately. Um, so I, it really was very disruptive for my faith, um, as well as like, I wasn't sure how my community was going to respond. And I, I'm grateful to say that for the most part, that particular community was pretty supportive uh, um, and encouraging with some notable exceptions that were really painful. Um, I still have, well, anyway, I won't go, I won't go into the details of it because no need but it all enough to say that it was it was painful and disruptive and um it was in that time that like my own relationship to my my faith practices changed um the things that sort of worked for me didn't anymore um uh you know in in a lot of evangelical circles like corporate worship is seen as a really important and high stakes and heavily emotive and emotional. And if I can like be more pejorative, like manipulative uh, or like, um, you know, anyway, there's a lot of uh, adjectives we could use, but it's, it's very central. And like being in the place where I was being charged to sort of curate these experiences for people and they didn't work for me anymore. I remember the Sunday after my wife told me that she was leaving. Uh, she told me on a Friday, I like didn't sleep most of the weekend. 
told one of my best friends, but like didn't want to tell my pastor before church because I didn't want to disrupt him from being able to preach. Like that was the thing. That was the important thing, right? Um, but but like me, I have to go be happy clappy for two services on a Sunday morning. And in between, like go into a into a bathroom and like vomit and cry because I'm so upset, right? Like, um, and again, gratefully, like very, my pastor was very supportive and loving. Um, there were some people who weren't, they suck. Um, and that's, that's them. But like, <clears throat> what happened for me is that I, I needed to find, um, I needed to find new practices for me that that connected and didn't feel um, creepy and weird and disingenuous and um, yeah, that felt more authentic. Like, like God, I'm I'm pissed off. I'm angry. I don't want to sing. I don't even know that I have words to pray anymore. So what do I do with that other than just be like sit in a room and be pissed off or pretend? Like those felt like my options. And um, and part of part of my way forward is that I still remember who to this day, but like somebody recommended, they were like, have you ever tried praying uh, morning and evening prayer? Like, have you heard of this thing called the daily office? It's in this thing called the Book of Common Prayer. And I'm like, well, yeah, I've kind of heard of that. Um, and so I just started doing that. Um, and because it gave me words that I didn't have to pray. Um, I started attending any like church that was a little bit more structured, like lit, quote unquote liturgical. I don't even like that word, but you know what I'm saying? Like they, they were more, <clears throat> you know, more structured and kind of liturgy of the word, liturgy of the table, have communion weekly or regularly. And I would just go to whatever church I could go to and know that I would be able to receive communion and participate. And because I could be in a community that was praying when I couldn't. And I could be in a community that was like affirming things that I didn't know that I believed. Um, or it, it wasn't even, my crisis of faith wasn't as much at that time. Like, I'm not sure if I believe this, but like, I just don't want to talk to God or about God right now. Cause I'm just so pissed off. Like that was really it. Um, and so that was the beginning of, of a journey for me of, of, an expansion of my spiritual practices, uh, expansion of the voices I was reading and engaging with, um, and the people, the relationships I was building kind of opened up. It it broke open my world, actually. It's probably the best way to say it, uh, or broke me open to the world. Um, so I just shared a lot, but that's that's like the first kind of significant shift for me anyway. Yeah, well, thank you for... Um for sharing one thing uh that listeners probably are are tired of hearing me say it now but i i very much believe it i think that story is powerful and that um when we're willing to uh open up and be vulnerable and share our own story then that kind of invites other people to see themselves yeah within the story and um i know just for me hearing other people's stories and knowing that like, I'm not crazy, that I'm not alone, you know, kind of thing right. is deeply helpful um, and healing. And so I think uh, people who give into that kind of uh, invitation to share their story, um, you know, of course, in ways that are, are appropriate and healthy um, 
but I, I don't know. I admire that quality in people. So <laughs> thank you for being willing to do that. Sure. Especially publicly. I mean, you know, <clears throat> now all 12 listeners of Rethinking Faith are like, whoa. Um, no, but there there was a, there was, you know, I took a, a, a few notes while you were talking, just some kind of like things that stood out to me. Uh, one thing that is interesting, I'm curious what you might think about this actually, is uh, you used the word call, like you described like a call experience. Yeah. And I know that like I've had a mixed relationship with that word or that language um, specifically because, um, well, for two reasons. One, that was really difficult for me when I was uh, kind of discerning, stepping away from being a pastor. Um, I had my my identity and vocation were kind of like together. They were yeah. one in the same thing. And so with a lot of spiritual direction, <laughs> I was able to separate those things. Um, but I thought that somehow I was giving up on a calling, which was like, hey, big middle fingers to God. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so that was that was really difficult. And then um, also <laughs> there has been more than one time when uh, Noel, my wife, has been told, uh, like, for example, when we moved from Florida back to Maryland, like, oh, well, like your job is just a job. Like, it doesn't really matter. You have to go with where your husband's going because that's a calling. Yeah. And so it was like kind of like this weird thing. Um, but I've I've kind of come to to grips with the word call in a way now that I think is um I'm more comfortable with using that language again. Hmm. Uh, that makes sense. And here's how. Um, I'm interested in what you think. So I want to use the word call, but in a very processy kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> Where it is actually, I think there is a divine call or a divine lure, something like that, in each moment of becoming that. In each moment, uh, the divine meets us uh, kind of inviting us or calling us into things that are good and beautiful and true. And so the call is always present. Like I would say that I currently feel a call to being at St. Peter's um, as a parish administrator. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not in this kind of rote, like God has this like, you know, plan in a book somewhere and like I somehow have to figure it out, figure it out, but rather like there's this invitation um, in each moment. And like right now, I feel like I'm giving into that kind of invitation. So it's does that yeah. like invitational yeah. language make sense to you? It does. It does. And it <clears throat> I I appreciate how you framed it. And I, I think how you've how you've described it is probably more of how I've come to also uh to understand and frankly how my experience has been um and it also like relieves a lot of pressure too because th there can be this sort of like semi-gnostic way of like thinking about calling right like it's like once you it's this mysterious knowledge that only you can get when you know it from god and it's something that you have to go back to and hold on to and and if you're ever feel like you're being you know moved in a different direction or or heaven forbid like doubting your calling like then you know then that's you know that's sinful and that's wrong and 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 it makes it very static uh as almost like you know i mean it's the same way that frankly in the evangelical world like 
uh, salvation is framed similarly, right? Like, it's like, I, I can't, I cannot tell you how many, like, how many troubled people I remember talking to in college who were like, went to their first like theology class where that, you know, their Calvinist professor was like, you know, well, you need to, you need to just really be sure that you're saved, like, and a part of the elect and blah, blah, blah. And like, people got like, got really upset, like, am I really like, is this really, you know, and, um, and I agree, I think, I, I do think that um, the word vocation is actually a really good word. Um, it me it's, it is about, I mean, it's, it's about a calling. I mean, it's in the word being, being vocalized, being sent out. And what are we hearing? And how are we responding? And there's like a, a core and this is how we understand it as Episcopalians is that like every person has a vocation um, and, and that we also as people like as baptized people as a community have a vocation um, by virtue of being baptized people that is like very um, concrete, but also very broad. Like we, you know, we have a, a covenant, a baptismal covenant that frames that like that we, respect the dignity of, of every human life. Like, okay, well that can look like a lot of different things in your life. Um, that can look like a lot of different things, you know, at one point and over the course of your life. Um, and so, um, I've, I've appreciated, and I can talk more about this in my kind of my process of like how I've uh, come to see my calling as being a priest in the Episcopal church is that it was a process of discernment that was about like, well, this is what I've heard, and this is what I'm seeing, and this is what I'm experiencing. And then there was a lot of layers of community to like discerning that together and and interrogating that together. Like, are you sure? Like, what do you think? What about this? Like, um, that that felt felt very different, like than you know, I mean, in my especially in the Baptist tradition, it's like you got the call. Like you got the call, like it's a call that you got on a Tuesday night or something. And then it's like, God says, you're called to be a preacher or to, to be a pastor. And then it's like, all you have to do is tell people that. And then, you know, uh, and maybe go to seminary and then you're ordained. And then, you know, they put you in charge of a mega church and, and a budget and, uh, and things are fine. No, there's no problems after that. Right. So I think that's exactly <laughs> how it goes. <laughs> That was my experience. Yeah, least. right. Exactly. I, yeah. <laughs> Everything was yeah. great. Everything worked out great. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing that you said, so there was kind of, um, well, yeah, more than, I guess. All right. Anyway, ADHD. Um, <laughs> another thing that you said when you were talking that stood out to me um, was you kind of uh, talked about your experience of like, um, I guess, being in the city and like the whole neighbor thing becoming yeah. less this abstract con you know concept and more like oh wait there's like actually people here and i think that's really interesting because um like for example recently i did an episode with um uh, matthias roberts about his new book uh holy runaways and in that he kind of talks about how empathy is one of the things that led towards his own kind of faith deconstruction to use that language um and so that yeah for me that is experientially true as well mm -hmm. where um people become actual people and no longer these abstract ideas or concepts uh so something that you know is readily available to me is like um okay well 
the LGBTQ community. Um, prior to my brother coming out as uh, gay, um, which by I don't I think I told you both. So I have a gay brother, and uh, my other brother identifies as pansexual. So yeah, um, I remember that. Yeah, very close to home. But prior to that, abstract concept, mm-hmm. right? And that's easy to think about in a way that's abstract because it's just an idea. But then once it becomes relational, things just shift and change. Um, and I feel like within my my own personal evangelical experience, I was taught not to trust my experience. That, you know, my heart was deceitful above all else. So things like empathy and compassion are are not great. Well, they could be as long as they still lead you to the right ideas kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I just, I I don't know. I thought that was uh, curious and interesting just to see that um, within your story, the kind of move into uh, out of abstract and into the very um, tangible and relational, how that mm-hmm. kind of does something to our, our faith. And I think that's probably experientially true for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think, I think there's a part of that that's just, you know, hopefully developmental for many of us that like, <clears throat> you know, we, we have to, we have to be given like categories and constructs to sort of make sense of the world early on. And then, and then we get presented with realities that, that challenge those constructs. And, um, and, and so then we have a, we have a choice, right? Like we can either, you know, uh, we can either, look at the construct and say like, okay, it doesn't fit anymore. And maybe I need to, to re-examine it. Um, or like, or not like I double down on it and like the, you know, like, um, <clears throat> which like, I know has been the experience for a lot of people that, um, that probably listen to this and like have been connected in other ways. Um, and so like, so there's part of that that's just like very healthy for all of us. Um, and, um, you know, comes, comes with age and time. Um, but yeah, I think, so I, I remember it actually becoming very clarifying for me when, um, <clears throat> I ended up, uh, so I did things backwards. I was ordained in this church, uh, that I helped to start as a pastor and then went to seminary after that. So when I made my flippant joke, I was like talking partially autobiographical, right? Um, uh, so, but I, I remember taking a class that was, um, it's just kind of like an introduction to, to theological study. Um, um, it's now a class that they call, uh, theology is friendship, which I love. I mean, this kind of, um, tags onto your idea of like the relational dynamics of this. Um, and I, I, I went to seminary at an ecumenical, um, seminary on purpose, um, because, I, I needed to be exposed to beyond my like very niche Southern Baptist experience before this, but, but the authors of this book that we were reading talked, name the, the, um, name the experiences like coming up short as how they describe it. Like, um, you know, you have embed, you have your embedded theology and you have the activity of deliberative theology. Um, and so embedded theology is what you grew up with. It's sometimes it's explicit, sometimes it's implicit, but it's there. And then you have a moment of coming up short where the embedded theology doesn't work. The construct doesn't work and you have to do the work of deliberative theology. And that can be over time. It can be painful. Um, and a lot of that coming up short for sure was in the context of relationships, right? It was in, 
within the context of, yeah, like we're a new church plant coming into this community, but we're like, the church has been here. It's not like it's not here. Um, are we going to pretend that that's not the case? Um, are we going to try to paint this like really awful picture of our context to all of our funding relationships all around the country so that they will give us more money? Um, or are we going to tell the truth about the neighbors that we're encountering that like, this has been a faithful pastor in this community for 25 years, <clears throat> not to mention like the fact that we were predominantly white evangelicals and like um, the black church experience, particularly in Baltimore has been its own thing. Um, much of which I was very ignorant of um, and, uh, and needed to, to be educated about. Um, and that there had been decades decades and decades of faithful work um so when people talked about the church leaving the city what they meant was the white church uh leaving and it wasn't just because of like church trends it was because of racism and like white flight and like you know all that kind of stuff <laughs> so um so yeah you you mentioned the the empathy thing i, I think i think that was it um truly getting to know my neighbors getting to hear their stories and then um frankly like having my own point of identification of having going going through a like gut-wrenching painful experience that will also build empathy as well yeah that that was the other thing that i i was going to kind of um highlight or or point to because i think for so many i mean myself included and this comes in all different shapes and forms, but the um, kind of loss as a catalyst of, you know, questioning, um, not even just necessarily deconstruction in like the religious kind of aspect, but just questioning in general, right? Like loss in its varieties of shape and forms can wreck your entire worldview, right? your perspective, right? Um, especially... Um, you know, I, I was talking to my wife about this yesterday because, uh, yeah, yesterday was the one year anniversary of, uh, Nanny passing away, uh, which was Noelle's grandmother. And, you know, she still struggles with that as a hard time. And I was, you know, kind of, we we're talking about it because her, literally her entire 29 year existence, as in my wife, um, all like it includes nanny and so now there's this person this relationship that has been a part of her understanding of how the world works and functions and you know whatever that is now gone you know out you know whatever so that kind of sense of loss really can kind of wreak havoc in so many ways um you know and when i'm being less uh pastoral and more you know, <laughs> nerdy and technical, I'll just point to like the problem of evil, you know, is is what I would call that. And I think the problem of evil is one of the, like one of the top reasons um, people either deconstruct or they, they become an atheist because they're like, I can't even, you know, uh, believe in any kind of understanding of God with everything, I, you know, going on in the world kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just wanted to highlight that because I think that would is something that, uh, you know, myself, but also listeners um, will really be able to kind of relate to 
is that kind of loss is a catalyst. Um, yeah, no, I I appreciate you naming it that way. I think that's right on. And then, you know, for us, then it becomes sort of layered losses, right? I mean, um, uh, whether it's whether it is the loss of a loved one to death or um, paired with that, like a loss of a sense of like uh, ability to make meaning, um, a loss of community, a loss of frameworks, um, or even like, um, frankly, ways we might like spiritually bypass those things. Um, like that all that's, that's a lot of, it's a lot of layers to that. Um, and so, so I do think like, yeah, grief, grief is an important word. And, and also like, <clears throat> I think you've, you've talked about this as well. Um, and I've heard others recently talk about this, about, you know, there's also a loss of kind of perspective of yourself across time. So like you, <laughs> you know, um, you start to look back on things that you've said or done um, and the ways that, you know, we, we generally like to think well of ourselves or you can be like me and just be hypercritical always. Um, but like, you know, looking back, it can be also hard to continue to be like compassionate to yourself um, to still feel connected to yourself. So there, there can be a, even just a loss of uh, sort of your own, um, your own identity or your own connection to self. Um, yeah, a lot of layers. So it's, it's, it's a lot to go through. Yeah, like, <laughs> way a lot to go through and that. Yeah, the sense of self one is, that's, that's really a big one for me. Um, especially like, I mean, you mentioned being hypercritical. I, I am very much the same way. <laughs> uh, and do not have the highest opinion of myself. Um, but yeah, that that kind of, I mean, the it was difficult. Like when I stopped being a pastor, the loss, like that's how I knew myself. Like that's that was kind of the thing I presented myself as. And even to an extent, it was so it wasn't as bad because I was very intentional about not allowing it to to become the same way. But even loss of Josh as a brewer, like that, that's been like a weird thing for me to navigate. Um, because I loved, you know, I love the brewing world. Um, I love making beer and I, I, you know, I didn't bail on it because I was like, this is dumb. <laughs> you know what I mean? There is much more complex than that. Um, you know, and reasons that you and I've talked about, but, um, yeah, so that the, yeah, all that to say is very, it is very complicated. It's very layered. And one of the things that I think it can be particularly, um, nefarious when you know when people within the kind of deconstruction um world are experiencing all these kind of things is the loss of community when they're kind of pushed out or exiled or whatever because that community is supposed to be there for you during these times and so yeah that that loss of community is just another kind of layer there which is one of the reasons as we've talked before um you know that i have found myself where i do now <laughs> working with you was because of the kind of community aspect so yeah um, it's a there's lots of layers it's messy <laughs> yeah and so like you know connecting about to that that sense of empathy like 
it's not only the the cultivation of that um yourself um but like what became healing and important for me was that when people did that for me like they were they extended that empathy to me and i started paying attention to who who had that capacity right who could do that um and you know uh obviously there are a lot of wonderful places that that happens i mean that's the beautiful thing about truly having like um mutual neighboring uh relationships like people actually care about you and you find yourself uh especially coming from the evangelical world like being like genuinely uh surprised and grateful that like someone actually cares about you and not what you can do for them um or like whether you'll sign up for their thing or participate or give money or whatever um but they actually just start liking you and caring about you and um I found myself having some of those relationships with people who um, not only, <clears throat> you know, not only cared for me, but then were, were like helping to name alongside me what was going on. Like, Derek, you know, your things are changing inside of you. Like your 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 belief systems are shifting, like um, your your constructs are changing and you're still in a world that is fit the version of you that was there you know a year ago but but doesn't anymore and like these are wonderful like i mean for the most part like really good people like i that i still i think the world of a lot of the people that i got to know in the community um and that i served with with you know obviously there's exceptions to that but like generally um i i consider myself you know in many ways lucky um, that I didn't have, you know, I know people have heard your story, Josh, like I didn't have that level of abuse, for example, in my context. But I also had a grief of like, there was there was a limit to the extent of which of how um, people could be empathetic and understanding and meet me where I was where I was, um, and could discern with me. And so, like, I came to have this very different experience of like being with, you know, frankly, you know, and I'll just like, you know, this is part of the reason why I'm Episcopalian now is like a, an Episcopal colleague who was in my, in my region, who I developed a friendship with, who was very empathetic and caring and pastoral to me and was able to ask the questions around discernment with me versus in the environment that in which I was serving, the main question was, well, are you called to do this or not? Like, are you called to fill this role in this place at this time or not? And when my answer became, I don't know, I'm not sure. Um, I realized that that wasn't, then that wasn't the faithful place for me to be anymore because, um, because what what they needed or what they thought they needed or what they say, said they needed is someone who felt sure and certain that they were called to this role in this sort of way, in this system, in this framework. And um, that became, um, it became more clear to me. There wasn't a lot that was clear, but it became clear that that was not going to be me. Um, <clears throat> and so, yeah, I, I really identify with that sense of like loss of identity when I, um, and to and to step down like not in the midst of like a it wasn't scandalous it wasn't um vitriolic or anything like 
um it was just like like I always found it really amazing <laughs> this is just me being snarky again but like you know when when you would find out that like someone your pastor was leaving and going somewhere else that like amazingly they discerned this call and like God was calling them and it was going to allow them to leave on this Sunday have a really nice vacation and start their new job in two weeks you know it's like it's like how how is calling so tidy I don't understand you know it's like can we just call this what it is like you just you got another job like you got another job and you like it more for whatever reason uh and you may feel drawn to it and that's fine but like we just use really intense spiritual language for me and so like <laughs> to me anyway so for me, I was just like, no, I don't know what I'm called to. I don't have another, like I had started working at a nonprofit part-time already when I was working at this job. And so it wasn't like I was going to do that more. I was like, not going to have this job and I was going to try to finish school, but I didn't really know what was next. And that was a really scary thing um, uh, to, to step into. And um, so, um, but yeah, all the, I was talking about the empathy thing. So like, what I had started to recognize is that I was having many of these other sort of relationships with other, other people who were showing me love and empathy and care. And they were coming from the Episcopal tradition or the Lutheran tradition, or, you know, they were my fellow students or my professors who were coming from, you know, the Methodist tradition or AME, or, um, you know, I was alongside Jewish Jewish students or Roman Catholic, like some of these young guys who were going to be Roman Catholic priests were also in classes with me. And so my professors were Roman Catholic. And um, <clears throat> it was it was beautiful and incredibly disruptive. Right. Because I had been told, like, I mean, I literally had classes in my Baptist church, like how to evangelize to Roman Catholics. Right. Like how to help, how to save them um, because they're, they're wrong. And like, they believe, they believe this and, you know, and we have the truth and all this sort of stuff. And then I'm like, I'm learning about, I'm learning about ethics from my Roman Catholic professor, um, which is a good place to like, learn the history of ethics from. Like, they've got a lot of, they've got, they've done a lot of work on this. Uh, whether they've applied it all well is another story. Um, but like the tradition is there. And um, so like it was to to be able to have one of the most kind and, and like pastoral conversations with you know these these people was um was amazing and so it just got me asking a lot of questions like okay um where uh where can i continue to be a part of this community like and what what um what community what place um, can sort of uh, a, account for, um, be in relationship with, and be expansive enough to kind of hold all this together in a way that feels meaningful and real. And so that was that was ultimately kind of what what led me into this into this tradition I'm in now. So yeah, yeah, that's the. <laughs> So I have questions about the Episcopal tradition, but I want to um, just comment briefly on one thing that you said when you kind of talked about the finding people that um, care about you, like not because of something that you can do or something like that, but rather just kind of have that care. That's one of the things, um, 
and you know this has nothing to do with any performance reviews coming up or anything like that but that has been <laughs> one of the things that i've really appreciated um thus far uh you know during my time um at st peter's and even just in the interview process because i you know i came in kind of I don't know if coming in hot is exactly the way to say it, but I didn't really pull any punches and was very honest about mm -hmm. my experience and, you know, these kind of things. I'm pretty sure that I uh, did not do a good job of watching the language that I used, uh, <laughs> but I had been kind of, I, you know, my approach to this, because th coming back into the church world was like a massive decision for me. Yeah. Um, like it, it was not, it was not easy. Um, there's a lot of kind of trepidation with that, which again, I was honest about. Um, but anyway, like I didn't want to, I remember what it was like to kind of put on the, this is what they're looking for to hire a pastor kind of, you know, mask or whatever. Yeah. And so I was like, no, if I'm going to do this church thing, which I don't even know why I'm considering it, but if I'm going to do it, then I'm going to 100% be myself and yeah. continue to be myself. And it's been really cool, uh, you know, just the experience thus far of I'm, you know, I'm I'm pretty much myself. I do better job sometimes watching my language than others, but um, <laughs> I I don't know. It I I feel welcomed and accepted, and um, it's it's been pretty cool. And I think that is something. Um, I don't know, kind of unique uh, and kind of plays into not only just like the character of yourself and uh, the members uh, present, but also something that I think the Episcopal tradition can kind of offer, especially when it's there's not as much. And please correct me because I don't fully know how they would you know say this, but there's not as much a strong emphasis on like, here's our here's our doctrines that you kind of have to ascribe to in order to like get along around here. And more so like, here's this uh, liturgy or, or way of worship that we can participate in together. Mm -hmm. um, and that's like kind of the thing that brings us together. And then like people can kind of be themselves. And that has been unique to me because before, even in like the last church I worked at, which was a very healthy church, there were still things that I couldn't say or else I'd be fired. Right. <laughs> right. I couldn't get up on stage and, you know, I, I have these memories of preaching uh, in front of a room of people and being like in my head the whole time, like, Josh, you don't even believe what you're saying. Mm. And like that kind of like fraud was difficult for me. So anyway, I think that care aspect is, is really big. Um, so I've appreciated that, but I'm yeah, glad. is that, is that kind of a fair way to describe um, an aspect of the Episcopal tradition? I think I think it's very true. I mean, I think uh, and and just like with anything like, uh, you know, the disclaimer about any sort of statement that one makes about, uh, well, any tradition. But I think this is uniquely true in the Episcopal tradition is that like as soon as I say, yeah, I think that's true. I would have a lot of people be like, no, it's not. And here's why. But actually, I think they would be proving my point <laughs> because we would be we would be people who would be holding divergent perspectives on something, but still claim membership and fidelity to uh, to a church to a church like structure, but broadly to a tradition that says 
there's there's room made for this um now like historically that has been a journey like as it is has it has as it has been for many other traditions but like um and can that also then fall on the sort of like side of like do we just mostly just want to be like nice like progressive nice to everybody you know like that there's definitely been that sort of like white liberalism niceness side to it that uh um you know that we we still that's still very much a part of part of the church too um <clears throat> but but i think that what what we what sort of keeps us committed together even in the midst of our challenges has been that like yeah no there's like there is a way to this that we're we're committed to a way of being together a, a way of engaging on around these issues of of belief and that um and that part of that way actually a really central part of that way is worshiping together um like um there's a and that there's something about the shape of that worship and that that worshiping life that itself is sort of the context in which we uh believe like uh, it's the you know it's the the term that gets uh used a lot like lex orandi lex credendi like the the rule of of prayer or worship is the rule of belief or the the way of worship is the way of belief um worshiping shapes believing um you know this kind of approach that um that i mean experientially i found that to be true right <clears throat> like when people ask me like this interview could have been a lot shorter because my short interview question or answer is usually like how did you become an episcopal priest and my short answer is prayer like I prayed my way into it like and that covers discernment but that also means like the discipline of of prayer in a particular way um with 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 people over time has changed me has formed me has shaped me um to be such a person that um yeah like I'm I may vehemently disagree with people in my church around particular things and there are things about which that I do like and that's fine um, but like, there's still somebody that I, I worship with, or like, there's still somebody that like, I would lead worship with, or there's somebody that like serves as a priest down the road. Like, and we're, we were just at a meeting together last week, you know, like there's still my, we still are connected to each other. Um, and that's really important. Um, so, um, so yeah, I mean, we're a creedal tradition, um, and I can talk more about all that stuff. But like, um, you know, there are there are a lot of ways in which we can understand and interpret that when we say, you know, we believe, and we list that belief. Right? Um, we have a complicated relationship to even to that um, at times. Um, you know, just. You know, just see who different people who have been bishops in our church and the books that they've written over time and what what they have to say about that. And they they still were bishops after they wrote the books, right? I mean, that's just that's a part of it. Again, for depending on our perspective, for better or for worse. But yeah, yeah, that I don't know the one of the things that initially drew me to the Episcopal Church because I did you know I stopped engaging church totally after i stopped being a pastor and then for some reason like mm, two and a half years into not doing church stuff 
um, I had heard about the Episcopal Church and heard some cool things. And there's one very close to my house. And so I was like, oh, why well, can just walk there and check it out? And one of the things that I did really enjoy was kind of uh, the liturgy. It felt safe to me in a way because they handed me like this freaking packet when I got in that literally <laughs> told me everything that was going to happen. <laughs> right. And most of it was written out. Right. You know, aside from perhaps like the homily that the the priest yeah. was going to give. Um, and so that kind of, you know, is interesting. And it kind of ties into something you mentioned earlier when you were kind of telling your story just about um, the liturgy you know, can kind of give us words to pray when we don't have them. Um, or you can kind of stand in a tradition of people who can pray for you or can believe for you, even when you right. can't do that for yourself. And those were all very um, kind of uh, alluring things for myself. And even, I think probably the most shocking thing that I have found so far um, during my time as a parish administrator is how much I enjoy uh kind of crafting and curating the bulletin for Sunday, you know, regardless of my iffy relationship with Microsoft publisher, which, you know, we've <laughs> been working on it and Ugh. a lot of, a lot of our tensions have been resolved. That's good. Um, That's good. <laughs> but it's, it's been, it's just been kind of cool. Like I've enjoyed, um, it's been an interesting way for me to engage, like engage something like the Bible, which I, I haven't, been able to do that but to be able to kind of like you know take the different um lessons or readings and kind of put them in because mm -hmm. you know listeners if you don't know you have uh there's always a passage from the uh, hebrew bible the old testament there's always a psalm there's always something from the epistles and then there's always a gospel passage and so you're getting a whole lot of bible you know <laughs> which is 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 cool um it's interesting. It's a, and then it's a fun retort to give back to a lot of my like uh, inerrantist sort of like, yeah, fun, you know, <laughs> like I'm like we we read more scripture every Sunday than you'd hear in your church. I, I just have to say, you know, not that that's the only. The only thing that's important, but uh, it's 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 a fun retort. Regardless. It is true. I found it interesting because you're literally like getting like blocks like like passage like big passages of scripture read out loud which is kind of like you know how the tradition would have started anyway but um <laughs> so that's been cool but then even you know i used to have this kind of arrogant attitude towards more liturgical traditions like written prayer that's like so lazy obviously these people just have like a lukewarm faith and doing these prayers is just bullshit da 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 yeah and but instead i've i've really enjoyed um like the prayers of the people that kind of go in the um you know the liturgy every week and the different like communion prayers and the you know weird like uh weird i don't mean that pejoratively but like the different <laughs> like like the the hallelujahs or like the the collects for the day yeah. um i just it's all it's been very cool and so that's been like an a helpful thing for me within the tradition is kind of embracing the liturgy and finding comfort in it um, and knowing that like, I don't know, when people are reciting the Nicene Creed, I'm standing in the room with them doing it and my fingers might be crossed or I might be like playing out in my head 
<laughs> okay, I can say that, but I mean something different. Um, but then also knowing that's okay in the space is is kind of cool. So I don't know, just yeah. a bit about the liturgy that I find attractive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's become sort of trite now, like, uh, and, and there's part of me that doesn't like the saying, but like, I, I hear a lot of my parishioners say it, um, you know, and, and it's, and it's important for them of like, you know, they love being in the Episcopal church because they don't have to check their brain at the door, you know? And, um, and it's like, it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I hope that's true. Like, I, I don't want you to check any part of yourself at the door. Um, and 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 actually, I think that's that's a part of the a part of our tradition. Some of our theological um, distinctives are like things that we hold central around, like an, a, a deeply incarnational theology um, uh, that uh, that really holds that to say no. Like we do bring our whole selves, so that like so it's actually it is important for us to like say with our bodies, like with our mouths and resonate it in our chest, the things that we say we believe, like, as opposed to say quietly to ourselves in a room somewhere, um, that it's important to like, be in proximity, which is why like, the pandemic COVID stuff was weird for us as a community, uh, as more like sacramental community that might be different for others, because we're like, well, no, we actually believe there's something about the the bread and the wine that's like important and and in its in its actual receiving and being physically present, um, uh, even though we don't know how to explain that. Um, but like, or hold to one particular explanation, maybe is a better way to put it. But like that that was a that was its own unique sort of grief for us beyond just the fact that like we couldn't be with each other, which of course was its own. Um, <clears throat> so. So yeah, like um the being in the room and have and experiencing liturgy together and and also just like to know what it means. Like, I mean, this has been very profound for me to like when we're doing prayers for the people or when we have different different colleagues that we're saying, or even when we're praying the creed, and I'm like thinking about particular people that I know like are saying these words and what that means for them, right? Like no, knowing you, like if you were to be there with us, like conversations that we've had of like, okay, jo Josh is here and hearing this and experiencing this, I'm thinking about how you're there um, and what you're bringing as much as I'm thinking about myself and I'm thinking about the other, you know, the parishioner who showed up this last Sunday, uh, first Sunday since the funeral for her brother and like to say like, I believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. God, like was she able to say that was that important for her other people to say on her behalf like it just it's different right than um then then um i don't know hearing hearing somebody like seeing that at you uh while the words are like displayed on on powerpoint you know and like there's lasers and stuff i don't know it's just again there's the judgmental part coming out of it but like it's just it's different it hits different. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think it most definitely does. I think that's a, a really um, kind of beautiful illustration. And I think, too, it just it shows. So, like one thing that I, I missed, and I think this is really hard for a lot of people to admit, maybe because they're not ready to or maybe it's not true for them. Um, and it's just like tr true for me or something like that. 
but I think it's more true than not, just based off of research and you know these kind of things. But there is something lacking when you just try to maintain this kind of personal spirituality or you know religious life when it's literally just you, right? Um, and I don't want to knock that because right. I love contemplative practice, like centering mm-hmm. prayer is my jam. I love the kind of um, inward stuff, like love it. But when I'm honest, there's always something missing to that. And I think part of it is this kind of collective effervescence that you get within kind of the, like in within religion, you know, I'm not just talking about Christianity here, but as a whole, mm-hmm. like, like people seem to be religious creatures, right? Even if it's not like, you go to church or mosque or synagogue on Sundays, but you find yourself in an NFL stadium with the pageantry and the holy hymns that are sung prior to the game. Oh yeah. And the vestments that people wear, like the whole thing, it's, it's all there. And so the kind of that communal aspect, um, I don't know, is important. And I'm kind of, you know, a hypocrite for saying that because I'm still not one who is is fully active within a church, which is also a cool testament to um, St. <laughs> Peter's because, like, I haven't attended there yet. And that it, that's not a, like, that's not my judgment on St. Peter's. That's just, like, I, I don't go anywhere currently. Right. Um, but when I do kind of risk myself in that way and bring myself into those spaces it feel like with all the tension that comes with it there is still this kind of like um sigh of relief that comes from standing in a community of people uh and even watching like the the first episcopal church that i went to there was like maybe like 15 other people there Mm. and they still uh engaged fully um with the liturgy right and to kind of watch it happen in the kind of um reverence that they had you know and to see this little like 85 year old woman carry a massive shiny old testament over her head you know down into the um aisle and you know like it was very moving mm-hmm so that kind of collect all that to say the 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 kind of community aspect is um I think is important. And it's kind of cool that uh you name that. And then also just from being, you know, at St. Peter's, I know that you know the different people um in the congregation and you know their stories. And to be able to like kind of see, you know, or hear them, you know, professing something like the Nicene Creed, which is said every week. Um, it, I don't know. That's cool to me. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm, I, I, I think, you know, and this is maybe me taking the conversation in, in a different direct or a different direction, which I don't intend to necessarily, but like what, what you're naming is like part of, this is partially by design in our tradition. Like, uh, it's not partially, it is by design. Like we, um, Oftentimes, um, uh, Anglicanism as a tradition more broadly is is referred to as uh, Benedictine spirituality for the masses, 
Um, and it was it was really the sense that and a lot of this very much championed by Thomas Cranmer, who was the author of our our first prayer book, um, who really, uh, because of the ethos of the Reformation in that time, wanted to basically take what was limited to the few to do in very small community or for, you know, the priests to do quietly with a whole bunch of people there kind of milling around and maybe paying attention, it didn't really matter, to um, take um, take the prayer life, the, the like the offices that the, the monks were praying, you know, and say, well, we can't do seven a day, like normal people can't do seven. So what if we did two, you know, like we did one in the morning, one in the evening, and let's kind of combine some of those practices and then let's put what we're doing as a liturgy into our common language in English. And like, let's put it in a book that's made available to the people so they can know what's happening and so that they can be a part of it. And so like take what was happening in these monasteries and like move it into the parish, which was the the central place for the community for them to come and participate. Um, and um, so by design, it's to say like, no, this is not something to be done in contemplation by yourself, although that's an important part of our tradition. And like, that is also a calling. Um, but like, for those of us who have multiple vocations, as we want to be Christians in this world, like, what does that look like? And um, so yeah, it's from the from the get go, it's been about like, doing this in community, um, and, uh, and establishing these rhythms um, together in that way. Um, uh, and so, you know, um, Anglicanism is sometimes referred to as like um, reformed Catholicism, right? Um, and a part of that's virtue of history of like how things played out, particularly in the British Isles and, you know, that whole Henry VIII, like uh, marriage annulment thing and the the, the disagreement with the Pope and all, all this sort of stuff by history but like ultimately it was a way of actually trying to chart a course between sort of like what were some really good impulses um in the reformation of like engagement with the people like truly this being a communal thing but also a meaningful connection to the historic practices of our tradition um and how do we how do we chart a course um uh, between those things uh, or amongst those things so anyway yeah yeah, so it's like the kind of uh, Episcopal tradition is not quite Catholic, but it's also not quite Protestant, right? It's kind of like somewhere in the middle-ish. <laughs> yeah, and again, like, depends on who you ask, right? Because yeah. there are, they're going to be, uh, we have, um, there are definitely, there's definitely a spectrum. And like, there are churches who cater more heavily to the Protestant side, uh, and churches like the the church in which I serve is a little bit more part of the more toward the Catholic side of the spectrum than the Protestant side. So they're going to have things that are going to feel a little bit more uh, a part of that. Um, I mean, not just the Roman Catholic tradition, but just more um, ancient generally. Um, and that's a whole other conversation for another day. But like, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, our official name is the Protestant Episcopal Church uh, in the, of the United States of America. Um, and uh, and so we still are, like, we have those commitments. A large part of that Protestant commitment being, like, 
engagement of uh, what we would call like all orders of ministry in our governance. So like, we're not just about like, we don't get me wrong. Like we love our bishops and there's like a lot of, a lot of, you know, stuff with that, but like we have, we have elections for bishops and there are people, there are lay people who are in all different levels of like leadership in our church. Um, you know, we have, uh, because of coming up, uh, you know, when, when that whole war happened, uh, between the United States or what was not yet the United States, the colonies and, and, um, King George, we found ourselves all of a sudden no longer really being able to be the Anglican church anymore because we couldn't swear fealty to the crown. So what do we do is that we reorganize ourselves and we reorganize ourselves much like the United States of America did. Let's have representational government. So we have a House of Deputies that is very much like our House of Representatives, except that um, we function. Uh, so <laughs> like we haven't ousted our speaker or anything like that, um, for example. Um, but we also have a House of Bishops, which is very much like the Senate. And uh, we have local governance in each one of our regional uh, like areas of the church called diocese. And so um, so there, that's a strong part of the Protestant side. We have a lot of engagement with the people there. Um, but then, yeah, the Catholic side of it is that we we value our traditions. Like um, there are things that are built in on our structure to where change doesn't happen very quickly on purpose um, because we want to make sure that we're paying attention to our tradition. Um, and yeah, like the, the ceremonial side of it is very, you know, is very much connected to that. And we, that's because like, you know, uh, call it the democracy of the dead, you know, like we, we value, uh, we value the people that have gone before us uh, and don't want to, to quickly dismiss that as problematic as some of that is as, um, as challenging as it can be sometimes like we, we uh, still say we're connected to it. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And the, um, kind of one aspect of the polity that's been interesting and intriguing to me um is kind of like the the vestry where yeah. you have this kind of elected group of people that are front within the congregation and they kind of they have like a decent amount of power within the church i mean even to the extent if i remember correctly you're you sit in on the vestry but you're not a voting member yeah um, and like, there are things that if you would like to do them, then you have to get approval from the vestry. So it's like, that was kind of cool for me to see because I've only ever had experience where it's just basically like whatever the head pastor says goes. Right. Um, and they're the ultimate Trump card, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> right. No. I'm, and that was, I'm glad you named that because that was actually a really big draw for me and why I came into the Episcopal church was, was accountability. Um, you know, I mentioned like coming up in the time of, of your, you know, your Mark Driscoll's, et cetera, like, uh, having people with uncontested authority and power and not really having meaningful, like accountability with teeth, um, is, uh, is something that I had seen go disastrously wrong in some of these other instances, but also even in the context that I was in, and, and I don't think it was, it was, uh intentional or nefarious but there you know 
there were concerns that I had about the fact that we had senior leaders who were not really truly like to whom were they really accountable? And well, what if we don't want to do that? Or what if we don't think that's a good idea? Or, or how do we, you know, God forbid something happen? Like what's the, what's the process for dealing with that? Um, and, and there wasn't one. And part of that's, part of that's the design of the, of uh, kind of free church world um, and the sort of autonomous nature of of free church traditions. Um, it does mean you can be very adaptive and do things, uh, but obviously it means uh, there can be some other challenges there as well. And for me, I I wanted to have um, oversight. I knew that I um, and and <laughs> maybe part of that is also connected to my enneagram number. Like I don't know how much you or other you know, listeners like ascribe to that, but I'm, I'm a pretty strong six. Uh, and so like having, having like clear, clear boundaries and expectations, these are things that help me feel safe, right. Um, safe to like work within, like I, you know, I, but like the guardrails, um, whether it's local oversight or even frankly, like a tradition as broad as it may be, like, I know how I fit into it and what I can do and can't do. Um, and that's, that can be very liberating, uh, for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a seven wing eight, um, which the wing eight can, is kind of the rebellious side of me. And that's where it can get into trouble. Um, and then, yeah, anyway, but, uh, <laughs> if you ever run into Dan Coke, ask him what he thinks about the Enneagram, you'll have a fun time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so um hmm. I guess perhaps what are some of the uh, you know things that maybe we haven't talked about or touched on um but some of the aspects of the episcopal tradition that either you just really love or that have maybe been really healing for you um that you think maybe could offer something to somebody who is out there like well you know, they have a similar story to me or, you know, they've done the whole deconstruction thing or they, they have the church hurt and abuse and they're in a place in their, their journey and their healing where they're like, well, maybe I can try something again. Like yeah. what are, what are some of the aspects of the Episcopal church that might be helpful um, or, or things that yeah. you like in, in that regard? Man, that's a really good question. Um, I think, uh, you know, some of we've already touched on, but just to kind of like make more explicit of just the um there there can be some really significant um comfort in like you said like kind of knowing what you're what you're walking into um uh <laughs> liturgy well i i would i would say liturgy doesn't tend to be surprising in the episcopal church but that's really not true um because there there can be a lot of a lot of diversity and room and actually that might actually be a really great thing for some people to um to hear that there's sort of a there's a there's a framework there's like a a, a a rhythm to it um but by nature and i think this is a strength is that it can be highly contextual um and adaptive um and uh and so um you know and that can be everything from as simple as like you know uh we have you mentioned the prayers of the people these are things that can change and and adapt and make sure that we pray for things as they're happening um as well and there can be some really beautiful prayers that are already made available to us in that so the the resources are really great 
um, for that. Um, the, the other thing for me, I just, the, the sacramentality piece of it, um, I don't know if this might resonate with some, but for me, like kind of coming out of my, um, out of the like lens of modernity and sort of this sort of post enlightenment um, phase, um, you know, using what is it? Is it Charles Taylor who talks about this of like the loss of transcendence, like of as a, a part of the modern age, like there's there's something about liturgy and particularly the things that we're saying and doing that invite us to participate in and witness mystery without seeking to explain it um and, and not and not feeling like there that's the expectation we don't have to do that um so you know i mentioned earlier like we we believe firmly in the like real presence of jesus in the eucharist we have no idea how to explain that in a way that's satisfying for everybody and that's okay um but to say that it's real um is important for us and that was that was important for me because i need to uh there's something to me in my faith that i need to feel like i can participate in a mystery without having to explain it um and that that can still be significant and meaningful for me and that it can actually um be a, a means by which my awareness of the the mysterious that's actually around me all the time like it can it can serve almost as a portal an entryway into that in other ways it causes me to pay attention um and um that's a that's a big part of our kind of our sacramental theology um you know um and, and even how we it's a part of like what we affirm at baptism too like we we baptize kid like babies uh we baptize adults too if that's what they want um but like we we affirm that there's something real happening in that um without having to say that we can explain exactly how um and there's so there's a sense in which we're kind of giving ourselves over to something um without it being feeling like it needs to be used as like a tool um like an, a spiritual implement like it's just it it's just there um and i i don't know i found that to be very uh, so like for me I, I put it this way as a baptist i um i took communion as a, an episcopalian i receive eucharist and that posture change has is actually very much a metaphor for like my spiritual life at this point. Like it's it's truly now a gift that I receive without having to feel like I need to understand it. Um, I think um, there is a there is just a theological breadth um, to our church tradition. Um, you know, uh, even the other day, I know I like sent you, I sent you a screenshot of like part of our, our, we have a catechism and outline of faith. And I was like, oh, you, I'm as a relational, like process theologian, like you, you'd love this, like this would really jive with you. Um, I think there's a lot, a lot of that, um, as well as like people who are perhaps more like, um, traditionally reformed in some ways can find a place here, as well as those who, um you know are part of a lot of other different church traditions um or even people who don't know 
what where they where they fit like i like we were talking about this actually we have a book study group and i was talking to them about how um really the episcopal church is a place that does not um make belonging contingent upon belief um that uh one belongs first um and um and then beliefs are come come and are shaped and may change over time but uh, whereas there are different communities that place belief you know belief is the gateway um toward belonging or at least maybe belonging to a in a real meaningful way or an inner circle or whatever maybe um and i don't find that to be the case at all um you know i think uh there is an increasing diversity in our church that i am delighted by um that uh was something that i was really um that i really longed for where i was um i love now that in many rooms in which i show up like it's not just a bunch of straight white guys anymore um uh i i literally remember being in a different church tradition and like had showed up at this like conference to wherever we were going to talk about like worship and creating new worship resources in our church and somebody was like well we've really got to like create more tradition you know um things for people like who speak spanish and like who speak french and like people in the black church tradition and i looked around and i just kept i was like white dude with glasses and beard white dude with glasses and a beard white dude with glasses and a beard white dude with glasses and a beard and i was like and I finally spoke. I was like, "I am. Why are we having a conversation about diversity when we all are the same in this room? What is going on?" You know. Um, and I love that now. Um, I'm walking in, and I'm. I am not. Uh, I mean, this, there's still there's still work to be done. But um, in many rooms, I'm walking in, and there are so many other um, parts of our communities represented um, as it relates to. A racial and ethnic background as it relates to sexual orientation and gender identity um like it's beautiful um and uh and so i find that really compelling and i think that's going to only be a better resource for us and um in the present and the future as we continue to grow in our diversity um and make space for that um one thing that's also really important to me is that um we're not shying away from doing the hard work of dealing with the the like the hard stuff like um our our diocese just went through a whole process on how we were going to address the issue of reparations um you know we we literally have churches that were built by enslaved people um we have the names of people on our buildings that you know are are the first bishop in the diocese of maryland owned a plantation and had slaves like um we're we're looking at this in the face and saying what do we do about it like and i think a large part of that is because every week we pray a prayer of confession that says like we have sinned in what we have done wrong like and that which we have failed to do right not just the the acts of commission but omission as well um and so you know we're you know we're facing this right now there's there's some allegations against a bishop at our, an international church like a, around abuse of somebody else and like we're dealing with it and there's a process for dealing with it and it sucks it's terrible like i wish i could say like come to the episcopal church 
because no bad stuff happens here. But the truth is like a lot of bad stuff has happened, but we're actually trying to reckon with it and um, and engaging in the messy process of it. Um, you know, um, and I, I find that to be really compelling and important. Um, um, so I hope I'm answering your question. I feel like I feel like there were some other things I wanted to say, but they flew out of my head. So anyway. Yeah, no, absolutely. You did. Uh, and it's, I don't know. I, I really appreciate that last bit there too, that you said, cause I, um, you know, I, I realized that like, perhaps, uh, I was just painting this, like everybody come to the Episcopal church because it will solve all your problems and it's perfect. Um, and that's not true of any tradition yet, but I, I do really respect that about kind of, um, the tradition, as we were saying, really taking seriously, um, and like facing the difficult things head on, um, which I think is cool. And also one of the things that is, was appealing to me. And I, I said this to you in, um, in the job interview was like, I have zero tolerance for a church or a community that I couldn't take my friends and family to where it, because they wouldn't be accepted. Right. And like within the Episcopal church, I know that I could bring, uh, you know, my gay brother or my pansexual brother or my transgender friend, like with me and they'd be welcomed and accepted. And that, that was kind of, that's an important thing to me. And I think maybe that's part of why this um, evangelical to Episcopal pipeline exists is because you do see some of this uh, kind of attention to uh, social justice and, you know, racial uh, tensions, racial um, uh, reconciliation, these kind of things. And there is, um, you know, kind of the uh, acceptance of the LGBTQ community and, and the, you know, in the sense that there are the, the priests down the road from me, is a gay black woman, <laughs> right. which is like, there are three strikes depending on what, you know, kind of uh, Christian tradition you're coming out of um, against her. And so that like, I think that that kind of, um, I don't and know. she's, and she's amazing. Like she's she an amazing person. And so super amazing. And so, yes, for me, it's like, not only, not only is that a person that, we would hope again the Episcopal at its best, the Episcopal Church at its best would welcome, but like that is a that is somebody who has responded to a vocational calling in the church and has a place to work that out, and we are better for it. Um, and like, and I, I mean, I can speak personally; I am better for it because this is a person that has like impacted and taught me um, that that you're that you're speaking of, and so like. Um, yeah, I mean that's just such a such an important thing. Um and uh and it was painful for me to see others, you know, I had several experiences of people who had to leave the community that I was I was pastoring before um because we did not have the our community did not have the way a way to make space for them. Um did not have a way for them to meaningfully belong. Um, did not have a way for them to explore how they might be called, right? Um, in whatever ways. Uh, so, 
yeah, I'm so glad you named that because that's just uh, that's been that's been huge for me. And um, uh, yeah, gosh, there's more I could say about that. But anyway, it's good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I know, too, it's it's getting a bit late. So um, <laughs> perhaps we could kind of wrap things up. Um, but I mean, this, you know, I've definitely enjoyed this this conversation and i know just even based off conversations we've had before we could keep uh you know kind of going and talking but um i don't know maybe one more thing i want to point out that i enjoy about the episcopal church and then like i'll give you the floor for like closing thoughts or something like that <laughs> sure that sounds good and this is something that might seem uh maybe silly or petty but I really kind of appreciate that the service, or at least the the services I've um, been like privy to, the the focus of the service, the highlight of the service, is different than the tradition that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. So previously, coming from a more episco- uh, <laughs> um, evangelical world, the sermon was the highlight of the service, and it was typically like you know, this big thing, you know, 45 minute sermon, like, you know, the ones that I showed you that I have preached in the past. <laughs> Guilty as well. Yeah. <laughs> because sure. I, I just talk too much, and, <clears throat> you know, shorter is hard for me. Uh-huh. Um, but there is this kind of emphasis, at least in my, in my reading of it on two things, the, like the reading of the gospel seems to be really important. And then also Eucharist seems to be really important as like two kind of peak moments of the liturgy. Um, that's been my perception. Is that kind of fair to say? Um, and then, yeah, I don't know. I just, I found that important because that's kind of a decentering of the person on stage telling you what to think and believe. And it does engage more in that commute, that communal aspect. Um, and there's this kind of deep reverence for like, okay, now we're going to read the gospel passage. And then also now we're going to, in, you know, partake, receive (laughs) the Eucharist as, as you said, with real wine, which is cool. Um, (laughs) and then, you know, the first time I came into the office and there was a wine bottle in the recycling bin and I was like, oh, right. That makes sense here. (laughs) Um, (laughs) was pretty cool. But yeah, so I don't know. I, I enjoy that aspect as well. Yeah. Yeah. No. I think you're right. So like we, uh, you often hear it called um, like the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the table is kind of how we talk about our, what is our principal worship service, which is what we call Holy Eucharist. Um, and so, yeah, there's the, the, it's, it's hearing the word and, and then it's sort of responding to it. Um, and so yeah, I mean, as you mentioned earlier, right? We we read a lot of scripture. There's definitely a high a high moment in the reading of the gospel, and that's read amongst the people. Um, in the same sort of kind of imaging the idea that like gospeling was to like herald good news uh, to the people, right? It's a it's a proclamation, uh, and it's for us. Like we need to hear it, and it needs to be spoken uh amongst us and uh you'll even hear like there's a there's a strong emphasis on if you're in any sort of community that is uh, multilingual that especially the gospel is proclaimed in at least those languages so 
if you're you know if you have Spanish it's like English and Spanish or French or whatever um that's really important um and um and and one could even say that we sort of believe that that God is present Christ is present in that proclamation um that's that's a bit of our sacramentality as well but um but yeah uh and then you know the the guy or gal or person in the caller comments on it for 10 or 15 minutes um or in my case because I still have this like Baptist thing in me I preached a way too long sermon but way too long for them here is like nearing 30 minutes you know like <laughs> it was like 25 minutes and they were done um <clears throat> But in reality, I should have been too, because it's uh, we've we've placed way too much uh, belief that like the the conveying of information for a long period of time with passion is what actually changes us. Um, I actually think that Baptists are sacramental about preaching. Uh, they just don't like to say it that way, but that's really what they believe. Right. Um, but for us, it's like, yeah, there's there's work being done um in the in the proclaiming the word and engagement with the word and that that leads up not not just the the homily the homily or sermon but through the creed because the creed for us is like a encapsulation it's a a theolog theologizing of the word as it's been uh understood and interpreted over time um the prayers are a response to that as well. The prayers of the people. This is all still in the liturgy of the word. And then we move into the liturgy of the table uh, in the offering. So it's like we've we receive from God uh, through the word. And then the the um, the liturgy of the table is then us taking uh, offering ourselves and offering the gifts of our community. So like our our money the the bread and wine is intentionally brought up from the people because this is like this is our stuff that we're basically bringing to god and saying do something with this that we can't do um and i think i, I think that's so beautiful because um it's it's less about like here's all this information that you need to now go apply out in the world it's here's here's what god is doing amongst you here's how we can like receive it. And then here's how we can give ourselves. So like we have a, a thing that we do uh, at the beginning of the offering where we give an offertory sentence. And the one I always do is the, um, it's always a scripture. And the one I always do is Romans 12, one, which is, uh, you know, therefore siblings in view of God's mercy as a response to God's mercy, now offer your very selves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God. So when we, when we come forward, we're we're saying like i don't this is all i have it's like i have a few bucks i can put in a plate i have this like mess of a life that i somehow was able to like drag myself here and pay attention sort of and pray when i might be able to and now i am standing or kneeling to come forward at this rail to receive something that i need that I didn't have when I came in and it's, but the, it's the something, it's the same something that came from the community. It's the stuff, like it's the same stuff from the community that the God, we're just saying God's at work now in this somehow. And how can I then receive whatever that is that, um, you know, uh, 
we have a, a phrase in um in our tradition you know uh behold behold what you are and become what you receive uh, when it comes to holding up the the elements like um that we we are remembered with christ and with one another in the eucharist and then the, and then we're just like and now we have to go and be that in the world and um and so there's there's something for me that's just very powerful and about that of just saying like i need to do that at least every week um to be reminded of like um who i am and who i'm not like how god um might be at work in the world how um how this community is at work together um to this thing that i belong to um and and then what now god says i am which is that i am like i get to be christ in the world and i get to also receive christ in the world in my the face of my neighbor and um and so we go out and we stumble through that throughout the week and then like we come back and we say how did that go well mostly not great but i here's what i've you know here's what i'm learning here's what i'm trying so it just uh sorry that was a very long rant uh about these these two parts of the service and i just went went way off tangent there but like um but yeah it's it it does make what I hope it does at its best is it does take the focus off of some sort of charismatic leader um, or, or a set of theological distinctives or, um, or even denominational identity, like, and places it more on like, we're a group of people that are just trying to, to receive and be God in the world and this is how we structure ourselves to do that and this is how we remind ourselves to do that um so yeah i i dig it and for the uh astute listener they'll pick up why all of this works very nicely within a process relational framework <laughs> and uh <laughs> that's my that's my my call is to be an evangelist for the process relational uh theology and understanding of things but at least that's how you hear it right now right now and, exactly yeah. and it could change <laughs> yeah it could change the uh yeah based off the you know based off all the ways that the world actually comes into being that or concrescence is the big word they use within process circles um the way the divine response will change based off the live options given to the divine. And so it could all, it could change, you know? Uh, but right now it's, this is what it is. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you for, uh, for taking some extra time. I know you're a busy individual. Um, so thank you for, for hanging yeah. out. I appreciate it. And uh, I promise I will be in uh, tomorrow on time, regardless, you know, it's late. So excellent. I don't, I don't know that I can make the same <laughs> promise, but I'll do my best. <laughs> no, it's been good, Josh. Well, I've, I've appreciated the invitation and um, really appreciate what you're doing. Uh, I'll just say like um, the, the conversations that you're helping to curate and provide for people are really important. And like, um, and it's something that uh, that I believe that 
you know, our our faith community, whether it's the one specifically I'm leading, but our the Episcopal Church more broadly, um, need, needs to be engaging in more deeply. Um, and, and and frankly, not this is where I'm going to like push back on on my own tradition a little bit, and like not um, not sort of sitting back on its laurels a little bit and being like, yes, do do come to us, all of you deconstructing people, because we have like we are the the progressive folks who have figured all of this out. Like, uh, no, they haven't. Um, uh, in large part because they, they don't know, uh, what to do with these questions and like their own kids are leaving their faith too. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is not a, there, there is also an Episcopal to evangelical pipeline that might be interesting to explore one day too. Uh, like it, 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 it's interesting how it kind of cuts both ways, um, in how we are disaffiliating and reaffiliating with the, the faith of our, a faith, our faith of origin. Um, but I do think that, um, that our churches, uh, our tradition is one that, um, if we can pull on the best parts of it, um, we, we can really engage meaningfully in this. And we've had a lot of people who have found their way here, um, who I joke sometimes that I feel like I have like a sign on my forehead that says like, you know, former evangelical, talk to me about your church trauma, like, <laughs> like you, you can belong here because we've just had, you know, a, a lot of people who have found their way here, uh, for similar reasons. And, um, and that is just, it's not just something, uh, to in one sense, be grateful for, which is a weird way to say it, but like, there's some people like, oh, we have new people. Great. Um, but like to pay attention to, because I do think there's, there, obviously there's, there's some things happening and I, I'm hopeful that, at least one thing that I've shared might, might help connect. Um, but, uh, would be so willing to talk with anyone else who, who needs to about this sort of thing. Cause it's, it's important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, <laughs> I think it is interesting. You are naming something, uh, important. There is kind of like the stark reality that, you know, mainline Protestant denominations are failing and literally dying. Oh, I mean, let me even make it even, you know, it's worse than that. All denominations within American Christianity are failing except for one, uh, which is the Assemblies of God. And a big part of why they're growing is not because they're getting new converts, but because people are becoming, you know, radicalized politically and then finding a home there. And I don't want to yeah. talk too much shit about them because I have a buddy who is a worship pastor in the AOG, but they are kind of known for their christian nationalism anyway sorry friend who you know who you are i love you um <laughs> but yeah so i think that tension's interesting because that that is true and like there are you know the the both episcopal churches that i've stepped into thus far i bring the and so do you bring down the age average by a lot yeah absolutely um, and so that's a stark reality, but it it is interesting to kind of see the, uh, I don't know, for whatever reason, the kind of safe haven that it is also proving to be for um, a variety of people at the same time. So it's, a, it's an interesting tension to explore, um, you know, and one that uh, I'm interested to see, you know, kind of how it continues to play out uh, 
over the next, you know, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 years. But yeah, um, yeah, it's a thing. So it's a thing. <laughs> What a great note yeah. to end on. I was like, oh, yeah, we right. tried to end the conversation earlier and be like, let me let me bring up another problem and challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's but important it's, it's though. I, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. But um, yeah, anyway, like I said, appreciated the the time and the conversation. Um this was a lot of fun. I, I have a feeling there's gonna be um questions from listeners and so I'll be sure to send them your way. And perhaps awesome. we will just have to do this again answer some questions so sounds great cool all right man well thank you so much and uh listeners as always thanks for hanging out guys and go in peace